Well, if you would, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, how are you guys doing this morning? Are you doing well? Wonderful, cool air outside. I wish we were meeting outside right now. One of the few times a year I wish that were true. But then I'd probably drop all my stuff. And usually when I do stuff outside, it's not helpful when I teach. But it's good to see you guys. Good to be with you. We are not going to be in First Peter this morning. I will be out the next couple of weeks uh, with some guest speakers that we have coming in from main service. And um, so you know how I roll. I am a one-part, two-part, three-part, ten-part, twenty-part guy when it comes to the text. And so as I got into First Peter 5 this week and studied the text and started to put things together, I realized that we were going to have at least a two-part series there in verses 1 through 4. And didn't want there to be a message today and then this break and then come back and pick it up right middle sentence. So I decided that we should talk about prayer. We should talk about prayer. I think it's good to often think about prayer. It's good to be reminded that we are called to pray, that it is a great and vast privilege to do so. And And so I want to spend our time this morning thinking about prayer. We have so many thoughts that go through our minds when we think about prayer. Things like, how often should I pray? Have I prayed enough today? Or I wish I prayed more. Why don't I feel like praying very often? Or perhaps you have more positive thoughts, such as, I have the privilege of coming before the God of the universe to lay my cares and my requests before him. Or I can pray to God at any time, night or day, and he hears me. He not only hears me, but he cares for me. Or it is amazing that God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his sovereign will. I can't believe God actually answers my prayers. Prayer is the avenue which God has ordained that we communicate with him. He communicates to us through his word. We communicate with God through prayer. We respond to him and request of him and we reverence him through the means of prayer. And believers are to pray. It's non-negotiable. It is a spiritual discipline that is a part of every believer's life. Now, to the extent that it's a part of a believer's life, that's a different question, but it is a part of every genuine believer's life. Prayer is how we express our dependence upon God for all things. It is a part of the relationship that we have with him. It is one of the ways that we praise him. We praise him when we sing to him as we just did. We praise him when we sit under his word and then respond in obedience to the truth of the word. And we praise him when we pray. It is how we petition him. One pastor said that prayer is to the believer what oxygen is to living. It is indeed the lifeblood of the believer. 
F.B. Meyer stated, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We have the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to pray without ceasing. And we have the model of Jesus throughout the Gospels and, and the model of Paul throughout the epistles, how we are to pray, what our prayers are to consist of, what they are to look like. But yet, even with all of the information that God has compelled us with in his word, it is still a struggle at times, isn't it? And we battle with the busyness of life and often the the busyness wins out. So why is this incredible privilege so often viewed as an inconvenience? I know for me it comes down to it being a, a matter of priority. And I would say that the same is probably true for you. Friends, we must prioritize prayer in our lives. We must prioritize prayer in our lives, and and for it to be a priority, our hearts have to be set on things above and not on things of the earth. It's easier for you and for me to pray when we're thinking about Jesus, isn't it? It's easy for us to come boldly before the throne that we talked about in that second song when our hearts and our minds are gazing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So if we're going to prioritize prayer, we have to prioritize Christ. We must be consumed with the eternal Christ and his eternal kingdom. When we are enamored with Christ, prayer is going to be a response of worship that is prioritized in our lives. Friends, there is always time to carve out in our day to spend with our sovereign Lord. And if you say, Brandon, that that is just not true. You don't know how busy I am. It doesn't matter how busy you are. (laughs) There is always time to carve out in our day to spend with our sovereign Lord. And I find great encouragement in telling you that and thinking about that for myself because of this personal testimony by George Mueller concerning the priority of prayer in his life. And he he would spend hours, hours a day in prayer. He writes this. He said, for more than half a century, I have never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For 40 years... I have had annually about 30,000 letters, and most of these have passed through my own hands. I have nine assistants, always at work, corresponding in German, French, English, Danish, Italian, Russian, and other languages. Then, as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. I have had charge of five orphanages, also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulation of millions of tracts books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work till I have had a good season with God. Perhaps one of the busiest humans who's ever existed on the planet 
pick up a biography regarding George Mueller, it's unbelievable what this guy did in his life. But what's so compelling about this man is his commitment, his devotion to prayer, which drove him in this business and which allowed him to keep all of these things going and to keep all of these things prioritized and to accomplish all of these things. Friends, this must be our approach as well, regardless of the busyness of life. We must prioritize prayer front and center because we are dependent upon God to accomplish anything of spiritual value. So the question is not whether or not we should pray. That's not in question. Prayer for the believer is non-negotiable. The question becomes, and the question I want to deal with today is, how should I pray? Or what should be prioritized in my prayer life? And the Apostle Paul provides for us the answer to this question in our text this morning. In Ephesians 3, Paul is in the midst of talking about his stewardship from Christ and and its implications in in his life and the lives of believers. For our purposes this morning... I simply want to parachute in on this text, which is one of Paul's prayers of the New Testament, one of his well-known prayers, and I want us to focus on this, and I want us to see a pattern, a pattern of prayer in the Apostle Paul's life. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 14. Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In this text, in this prayer by the Apostle Paul, I want you to see Three biblical components of an effective believer's prayer life which compel us to prioritize prayer. Three biblical components of an effective believer's prayer life. And the first component that we find is in verses 14 and 15, and it is this. It is submissive reverence. Submissive reverence. When it comes to talking to God, the, prayer, the proper reverence is, is always in order. We need to realize who we are coming to. God is not another human peer, but rather he is the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe. And we must approach him respectfully and reverently. And Paul demonstrates this reverence for us. Look at verse 14. He first connects 
the prayer back to verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2, which, which we did not look at, but that's where he is connecting this back to. And he states for this reason. See, Paul prays to the God who by his grace is building his church and has been using Paul as an instrument to unveil the mystery of Christ. That's what's been happening in verses in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Ephesians. He's been talking about this, this stewardship to unveil the mystery of Christ to both Jews and Gentiles and, and to bring together a case for the unity of, Jew, of Jews and Gentiles based on the blood of Christ. So now in verses 14 through 21, he prays that the Jews and the Gentiles would be united experientially through Christ's love and that they would know Christ's love and they would experience it for one another. But notice Paul's reverence as he goes on in verse 14. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father. This is, this is Paul's <coughs> excuse me, posture in worship. Uh, this is very likely a physical posture that he took from time to time as he bowed himself down before God. But the main point that Paul is communicating with these words here is the attitude of his heart. This word bow signifies complete submission, dependence, and worship to this God whom he is praying to. We are to come to God with humble hearts, knowing that he is sovereign over all things and that he is able to grant what we ask him because he is sovereign and omnipotent. More than that, as God, he deserves this reverence when we come before him. I mean, you think of important people in our world, presidents, leaders, who, who rule countries, kings, whatever it may be, there is, there's a large amount of reverence that goes into spending time with one of those leaders. If you watched the funeral of Queen Elizabeth a couple weeks ago when, when that happened, and, and you watched everything that went into those circumstances, into that pomp and circumstance, so to speak, you saw a lot of respect a lot of reverence. This was a dignified individual and, and people across the world, I guess about four billion people tuned into this. Tuned in, by the way, the gospel was preached in a number of different ways, which was awesome. But four billion people tuned in to watch this reverence and this respect. And, and she was simply a, a human being. Yes, she was a queen and God had given her the throne for 70 years there in England, but, but she was a, a human being. So much reverence and so much respect was given to her. How much more should we respect and reverence the God of the universe? The eternal God of the universe. He's not simply on the throne for 70 years. He's not simply just a good ruler. He's the eternal sovereign creator of the universe. So when we come before him in prayer, we're not coming before him tritely. We're coming before him with reverence and with awe and with respect because he is the eternal God. 
Daniel demonstrated this posture three times a day during his ministry in Babylon in the Old Testament, didn't he? Even at the threat of being thrown into the lion's den, which eventually, which eventually happened, he would pray three times a day. He would bow himself down and pray to his Father who was in heaven. Who does Paul bow to and who is it we are to bow to? The text says that was before the Father. The Father is the one that we worship and submit to. Jesus instructed us to direct our prayers to, to the Father in the Gospels. Jesus said, how, his disciples said, how should we pray? Again, with Father. Why? Because he is the Father, the, the Creator, the Sovereign from whom, Paul says, every family derives its name. That is to say that every family in heaven and on earth has its origin in God, their Creator. And heaven refers to the rulers and authorities who dwell in that sphere. On earth refers to humanity. As the one who creates, he names every family in heaven and on earth. Every family has as its source God. He is the Father. This denotes his sovereignty over all things, including everything in heaven and everything on earth. When we pray, we are praying to God. And he deserves our undivided attention. We are to engage the mind and the will when we pray. You are to come with boldness and to use the language that he has given us. But remember who you are talking to. He is your God. He is the reason why we exist, why we have our breath even at this very moment. A prostrate heart of worship is the only proper approach. I love what Spurgeon said about this posture of prayer. He said, as, supplicant, as, as suppliants we must come, joyful but not presumptuous. Familiar as children before a father, yet reverential as creatures before their maker. Posture is not everything, yet it is something. Prayer is heard when knees cannot bend, but it is seemly that an adoring heart should show its awe by prostrating the body and bending the knee. This was Paul's posture as he demonstrated his submissive reverence. But there's a second component that I want you to see of an effective believer's prayer life, and it consists of, number two, significant supplication. Significant supplication. We see this in verses 16 through 19. The request that Paul makes here shows his, where his heart and his thoughts are. That's where he begins in verse 16 to present his requests before God. Verse 16 begins with that. And this word denotes the content of his request that is about to, to follow. You'll notice that this is focused on the eternal, on the spiritual, on that which matters most as he prays that these folks will be sanctified in a very specific way. 
As you notice the text, he prays that they would be strengthened in their inner man by his power through his spirit and do this according to the endless supply of his wealth of glory. Let's break this apart a little bit. He petitions that they would first of all be strengthened to experience this newly revealed unity that he's talked about. This unity of the faith between these Jews and Gentiles that is, that is centered upon Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross. The notice strengthen is, is passive in meaning that, that God is the one who is strengthening them. That they are not strengthening themselves. That they are to be strengthened with power that is God's ability to act according to his omnipotence. Paul is praying for God to work in them and to give them his strength, which he supplies for this to be done through his agent, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is the power source that provides this strength that Paul is praying for on behalf of these Ephesian believers. Listen, you don't plug into Jesus with the right hand raising technique, right? There are people who say that. My hands look like a plug. And they literally say, you plug into Jesus like this. Not true. It's not how it works. You plug into Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power that enables you to be strengthened with the strength that God supplies. Some particular thing that you do, some particular habit that you have is not the power source. We do not manipulate God in any way, shape, or form to provide strength for us. It's through his spirit. And notice that the strength is not physical strength to overpower physical issues or physical enemies, but it is spiritual strength in the inner man. That is the heart and mind of a person. This inner, inner person is, is helpless without God's strengthening power. You understand that. You experience that as I do. Our inner person, our soul, our, the part of us that is, is redeemed, even being redeemed, still living in the flesh, we find it to be helpless at times when we are not living according to the strength that God supplies. So the inner person is helpless without God's strengthening power. The result then of believers being strengthened is that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And you see that there in verse 17. You see that result. Now this is not speaking of of conversion, because Paul is speaking to believers, but rather he's speaking of, of sanctification here. The term dwell here speaks of a settled dwelling rather than just a a temporary dwelling. This indicates Christ being at home in our hearts or being in the center of our lives. This speaks of Christ being in full control of the believer to do as he purposes in this life. Paul is talking about when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This happens through, Paul says, the ongoing faith of the believer. 
Friends, this is what it means to grow in the Christian life, is to be strengthened with the strength that God supplies and to, to utilize that strength by faith, to, to put that strength to use by faith. And that faith is what causes the strength to be able to be lived out. Notice where Christ is to dwell. He says he's to dwell in your hearts, in our hearts. That is in our core. This is synonymous with, with the inner person. This is the very center of a person where his motivations, emotions, and his desires lie. Now, this is where genuine worship and, and true obedience lies. Therefore, it is what needs to be affected for true sanctification of the entire person. Notice that, that Paul doesn't pray that, that they would dress better or that they would have better speech or that they would quit this habit or that habit but he prays that they would be strengthened from the inside out this inner man is is strengthened from the inside out you see surface sanctification also known as outward conformity is a facade and it is temporary it won't last you can make changes. You can go home and make changes in your life today. I'm no longer going to do this. I'm no longer going to do this. And You can even make plans to do that and carry out a strategy that you might put into place to, to not do that anymore. But if that's not driven by being transformed, by the ins, transformed in the inside, then that outward conformity is just a matter of time before that goes back to what it was before. Inner sanctification, true sanctification, also known as inward transformation, is life-changing and must be carried out by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It will last. So as a person is strengthened in the inner man by the strength that God supplies through faith by Christ who dwells in us, as that happens, we are transformed on the inside. We begin being conformed to the image of Christ. And as we are conformed on the inside, on the inner person, we begin to manifest that outwardly. And those changes that begin to happen are genuine and they're going to last because God is changing us from the inside out. So don't get the cart before the horse. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others as God transforms you from the inside out. You've heard me say time and time and time again that God sanctifies those whom he justifies, genuine Christians. But every single person that he is sanctifying, he's doing it at the pace that he has determined. He's doing it at the rate of speed that he has decided to do it. And so your sanctification might be faster or slower in respect to someone sitting next to you, someone sitting in front of you. 
The reality is, and something we never want to lose sight of, is that God is sanctifying you. Those whom he justifies, he will sanctify. That's Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work and you will complete it. So he is sanctifying you. But at the pace in which you are being sanctified, that can look incredibly different. And with what goes into sanctification, because it is synergistic, it is us working out, Philippians 2.12, and it is God then supplying the strength for us to work out as we put in the effort, that sometimes our sanctification is dependent upon our effort. Now, God is ultimately the one who's sanctifying us, but if we aren't obedient Christians, if we are constantly walking in disobedience, well, then our sanctification is obviously going to be slower. But as we pursue Christ by the means which he has called us to pursue him, and as we pursue obeying him, as we apply the means of grace that he has given us, he is going to sanctify us, but the pace, the rate of speed by which he does so is, is up to him. And so as we think about that in terms of other believers, we think about that in terms of our own lives, we don't want to get discouraged. We don't want to get discouraged when we see somebody who God is just growing at a very fast pace of speed, and you think, well, I wish I was growing a lot faster. We want to know, we want to be encouraged that God is, is changing us. And then we don't want to, we also don't want to, at that point, try and manipulate God and try and create some sort of outward facade to where we are looking as sanctified to this other person. We want to trust the reality that God inwardly sanctifies his people through his word, by his spirit. And so Paul is praying for that. He's praying that the inner man would be sanctified. And furthermore, God's strengthening power resulting in Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith is according to, you see it there, God's wealth of, of glory. God's wealth of glory, it is according to the wealth of, of his essential being, the, the summation of his attributes. God strengthens us from his infinite, perfect character. Notice how Paul goes on in the rest of verses 17 through 19 to, to give us the purpose of this request. To give us the purpose of this request. He says, in order that you, it denotes purpose, in order that you, he's talking about those who have been rooted and grounded in love for one another, which is sourced in God, those who have been firmly fixed and caused to, to take root and have laid a foundation in regard to love for one another. That's who he's talking about. He says, in order that you, genuine Christian, who's, who's being sanctified from the inside out, may be able to comprehend that's that they may be able to fully understand and experience with all their might, with all the saints together, the vastness of the love of Christ. See that there in verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. The vast extent of Christ's love what Paul is praying for on behalf of these believers in Ephesus, that they would be transformed in their inner man, that they would be sanctified 
And as they're sanctified, they're going to be rooted and grounded in this love for Christ and for the saints for the purpose that they would then know the vast love of Christ. These four descriptions there in verse 18 are to be treated as one to emphasize Paul's point concerning the vast extent of Christ's love, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Paul wants them to experience the fullness of the love of Christ. He wants them to have this happen experientially. He wants them to then demonstrate this love that they've experienced to one another. We should be praying for ourselves and for one another that we would know the vastness of the love of Christ. That we would never doubt the love of Christ and the the love that he has for us. When we get into the throes of life and the issues and the difficulties, sometimes we doubt God's love in subtle ways, but we do question it at times, don't we? Paul is praying for these Ephesian believers that they would never doubt the love of Christ, that they would know the fullest extent of the love of Christ. What are some of the implications of Christ's vast love that we experience as believers? What is he praying for them to to understand, to know? Well, there's just a quick list of them. His love has been manifested to us in the reality and by the fact that he has created all things for us to be enjoyed. It's been communicated to us in the fact that he gave up heaven's throne room to become a man on earth. It's communicated in the fact that he laid aside, that he veiled his manifested glory while on earth for us to live as a perfect man in every way. It's been manifested to us in the fact that he died the death of a criminal in our place. His love has been communicated to us in the reality that he took our sins upon himself. It's been communicated in the fact that he gave us his perfect righteousness. We see his love in the fact that he rose again, vindicating his work on the cross and conquering death on our behalf. We see this communicated in the fact that he is working as our advocate day and night, John tells us. We see this in the fact that he is preparing an eternal home for us. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you. We see his vast love extended to us in the fact that he is prepared at any moment to come and to take us to that home that he has prepared. We see his love communicating the fact that he will judge our mutual enemies. We see his vast love communicated to us in the fact that he will make all things right. Believer, that's what Paul is praying for on behalf of these Ephesian believers. That they would know that 
love. That God would transform them from the inside out. That Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. That they'd be rooted and grounded together in love for Christ and love for one another. And that they would never doubt. That they would never forget for even a moment the vast love that Christ has for them. And the vast love that Christ is experientially pouring out on them every single day of their lives. That's what we should be praying for one another. Isn't that what you want for yourself? Isn't that what you want for your fellow students here? Isn't that what you want for your fellow believers in this church? That we would all know the love of Christ, the vast love of Christ, the the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Because friend, Christ has loved you from eternity past and he is loving you now and he will love you for all of eternity. And he is manifesting that love to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Paul goes on, verse 19, he says in there, comprehension that they would know the love of Christ which which surpasses all knowledge gives gives further explanation to to this this height and depth and width of the love of Christ this word know here indicates both theological and and experiential knowledge that they uh, that and this experiential love of Christ that he has for us that it exceeds any facet of human knowledge Know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Knowing this love is spiritual. Human intuition cannot comprehend it. The world does not understand the love that Christ has for his people. You as a Christian understand the love that God has for you. It may be a a minuscule understanding, but you know. You've experienced that love You need to grow in your understanding of that love. The world doesn't know that. This love is spiritual. Comprehension of Christ's love is beyond human comprehension or reasoning. His love surpasses any knowledge that that we may have or continue to gain concerning his love. Friends, we will spend eternity continuing to learn of the magnitude of the love of Christ. That is how vast. That's why Paul uses that language at the end of verse 18. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth. Is to explain the magnitude, the vast, infinite magnitude of this love that Christ has for his people. It is indeed vast, is it not? Look with me at the final purpose of this request there at the end of verse 19. It says that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. She may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The final purpose Paul prays for is that believers would be continually filled in completion and entirety with God's moral character. He wanted them to be strengthened so that they would lack nothing needed to live for Christ. Isn't that an amazing prayer? Isn't that what you want? Somebody praying for you on your behalf? That you would lack nothing? 
nothing in ability to, to live for Christ on a daily basis? Isn't that the goal of your life? They needed to be strengthened so that they would be totally dominated by God. Paul wants all believers to be dominated by every characteristic of God because they are continually being filled with God. Don't you want that? For yourself, for your brothers and sisters in Christ? What an incredible group of believers it would be if every one of them were dominated by the character of God. If every one of them were full, filled with the, with the fullness of God and that was manifested in the way they lived every moment of their lives. That's what Paul prays for. That's an incredible prayer. That's what we should pray for. That's what we should pray for. Concerning being filled with all the fullness of God, one commentator shares this testimony of a man as an illustration. I said, I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp, and for a year I begged on the streets for a living. One day I touched a man on the shoulder and said, hey, mister, can you give me a dime? As soon as I saw his face, I was shocked to see that it was my own father. I said, father, father, do you know me? Throwing his arms around me with tears in his eyes, he said, oh, my son, at last I found you. I found you. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. Think of it, the man says. I was a tramp. I stood begging my own father for 10 cents when for 18 years he had been looking for me to give me all that he had. This commentator goes on to say, this is a small picture of what God wants to do for his children. His supreme goal in bringing us to himself is to make us like himself by filling us with himself with all that he is and has. Now that's a significant request with significant purposes, isn't it? This kind of, of spiritual supplication is extremely effective because it is petitioning God for exactly what he revealed in his word that he wants to give us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to root us and ground us in love. He wants us to understand the vast knowledge, the vast expression of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what God wants. That's what God has willed. Why do we not pray that way? That's what we pray for. May our prayers be shaped by this kind of supplication. That brings us then to our third and final component of an effective believer's prayer life. It consists of substantial adoration. Substantial adoration. You see that in the closing verses, verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 begins with the transition word, now. Now this transition implies that when we have followed the pattern of enablement given to, enablement given to us in verses 15 through 19 and are striving to comprehend the vastness of the love of Christ and, and experiencing the fullness of God being filled up with his moral attributes or character, then we can experience God's limitless work in our lives for his glory. 
This is a worshipful, thankful doxology to God for his abundant, unlimited power. Now to him. That is to God who who is able. Uh, That is to to the one who possesses unlimited capability. When we pray, we are come, we are to come praising the one who is who is able, fully believing in his omnipotent capability to carry out his sovereign will for his glory and for our good. But notice how, how Paul goes on to supremely distinguish God and his power above everything else. He says, to the one who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think. Excuse me. This phrase, far more abundantly, is a triple compound word meaning super abundantly or beyond all measure. In fact, this word implies the highest form of comparison imaginable. God's power in the believer's life is incomparable and uncontestable. His ability goes beyond what we ask in prayer to beyond our wild imagination. What does this mean for us? It means that we need to pray with great faith because we have a great God who is able. We need to pray with great faith. We get, we get so tied into our routines in life don't we? And, we? and we may have routines to pray. I hope you have a routine to pray. And it should be a routine. It should be on your docket. It should be something that is daily. But in that routine, are you praying with great faith? Are you praying genuinely, believing in your heart that the one you are praying to is fully capable of accomplishing the requests you are asking of him? That when you pray for that difficult situation that you have going on in your life, where, where you just want resolution, where, where you just want there to be peace, where you, you just want there to be reconciliation, are you praying for that situation with great faith, believing that God is able to accomplish these things, that God is able to sanctify you, that God is able to sanctify them, that God is able to accomplish these things? We pray with great great faith because we pray to a great God. And this superabundant ability is according to the divine power of the Spirit who who is working in us power that is working in us. God's ability is is contingent upon his power and he is omnipotent. Therefore, his power is limitless. That supernatural power of God was put on full display at the cross and the resurrection. If you're lacking in faith and you're struggling to believe that God can accomplish things according to his will, you need to be reminded of the cross of Christ. You need to be reminded of the power of the resurrection of Christ because that's where God's power was put on full display. As a result, the 
the unity created by the cross between Jews and Gentiles, back to Paul's even original context here, is entirely possible because of the superabundant power of God. Paul says to this one who is able, to him be the glory. That is to say, God be praised because of his essential attributes. Specifically here, the specific attribute, his abundant power, his superabundant power. Friends, this is to be our practice. Praising God for who he is. And we have to continue to know him in a deeper way through his word for this to be informed praise, right? We want to praise God for who he is. We, we don't just imagine who he is. We don't create in our minds who he is. We don't find out who he is because of who the culture says he is. We praise him for who he is based on who he says he is in his word. And so if your praise is going to be what it is supposed to be, it has to be informed through his word. We must seek his face through praise and not only his hand for provision. This glory comes to God through his church and through Christ. His church is where his power and his majesty is put on display through his purchased people. And Christ is the head of the church, the originator of the church and the purchaser of the church, which results in God's glory. And this praise is to go on forever and ever. Why? Because God is infinitely worthy. The praise of our hearts is never to cease Our prayers are never to cease. Why? Because it is an infinite, he is an infinite God, worthy of continual prayer, worthy of continual praise. This is not a one-time deal. This is to be the habit of our lives. Our lives, and specifically our prayers, must consist of an ending praise to God. That brings us to the end of the prayer here in verse 21, seen by the word, amen. Paul says, let it be so. Let it be so. This marks the end of the prayer, the doxology, and this even marks the end of this portion of the epistle which establishes our position in Christ. Ephesians is broken down into two portions, one through three and four through six, our position in verses chapters one through three and our practice in, in uh, chapters four through six. And this is how Paul chooses to end this section on our position. Isn't it a wonderful way to end that section? May this prayer be a model prayer for us as we pray for one another. I simply just wanted you, because I think If you read this prayer and you go back through this prayer, which I encourage you to do today, this week, go back through, this prayer is very applicable because it's a pattern. You are looking at this prayer and you are praying this on behalf of yourself and you are praying this 
on behalf of others. And you are believing by faith in this great omnipotent God that he is able to accomplish these things. He is able to continue to grow us, conform us more to the image of Christ, and make us a a force in this world of darkness. Because I know you want that. So may this prayer be a model prayer for us. May our prayers this week be marked by reverence, by supplication, by praise as we carry out our abundant privilege of communicating with the God of the universe through prayer. I'll leave you with these empowering words from J.C. Ryle as we close. May we take them to heart. He said this. He said, be sure no time is so well spent as that which a man spends on his knees. It's the greatest thing we can do with our day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this reminder concerning prayer, certainly a reminder for my own heart. Father, what an abundant privilege we have to come before you. a privilege that is incomparable even to coming before the greatest rulers of our world. We, we are coming before the magnificent, eternal God of the universe who holds out his scepter to us as his children. And we come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. We come submissively. Father, we come with our supplications, which are to be marked by praying for true sanctification to take place in the hearts and lives of ourselves and one another. Pray that we would be overwhelmed by the vast love of Christ. Father, we are to pray to you, praising you for your matchless grace, for your unending love, for your your mercy that knows no bounds, praising you that you care for us intimately, you know every hair that falls from our head, you know every struggle that is in our, the deepest part of our souls. Because you are omnipotent, you can accomplish your purposes in our lives in all of these things. Father, we praise you for that. Thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for even the privilege now to close out our time worshiping you through song. May this be the prayer of our hearts as well. In Christ's name, amen.